In the province of Givaudan, France, a terrible beast murdered some 100 people from the years of 1764 to 1767. This beast was said to be a wolf of some kind, but eyewitness descriptions vary, and many of these descriptions lend to a very different take on the creature responsible for the terror of the time. What's that in the woods coming towards you? Is it a wolf? Is it a lion? Wait. Let's just take a look at this through a different looking glass. Greetings all, I am Iago McGinnis, and I would like to welcome you to the show. When you hear the word beast, what imagery comes to your mind? Is it a terrible fanged cat ready to pounce? Is it a brutal pack of canines, wild and unpredictable? Or, if you're like my kids, is it a blue-skinned man hanging upside down with the X-Men? Well, let's take a look at the picture that we know. In 1764, the attacks start. First, a young unnamed woman was attacked by a creature while tending her herd of cattle. This woman was indeed fortunate and survived this attack thanks to some quick thinking by the bulls of the herd. Uh, they probably realized that horns were actually a very good defense weapon. Now, a few months later, Jeanne Boulet, a 14-year-old shepherdess, was out tending her sheep. She was not so fortunate. She was classified as the first of many victims of the beast. Because, you know, pastoral sheep are pretty useless when it comes to defense. And so, the attacks continued. The province was in terror as more reports of a beast attacking lone men, women, and children while they were taking care of their livestock flooded in. I'm not going to go into any of the gory details, but it is noted that the beast favored attacking the neck and heads of its victims. Also, many of the attacks seemingly happened at the same time, leaving many to start speculating that there were more than one creature at work. It was decided by popular composite eyewitness testimony that the beast was a wolf of some kind, and in 1765, the King of France got involved, with many a brave men going out to hunt the fabled beast. Many wolves were shot and killed, each large wolf shot being purported to be the beast, or at least the candidate. But as it would turn out, more killings took place. After a few more years, the attacks finally stopped with the supposed death of what was thought to be the true beast on June 19, 1767, by a man named Jean Chastel, during a hunt organized by a local nobleman. Doctors examined this beast, and all seemed to be in order that this was indeed the actual beast, and the case was concluded. Hooray! And then all the people in south-central France had to worry about from then on out was regular wolf attacks. Hmm. And just so you know, this is the rapid-fire version of this story. There is a ton of details related to this case that I've skipped over due to French names that I cannot pronounce, and a lot of people trying to make names for themselves. There is also the fact that many of the details in the telling and retelling of this tale has become a bit hazy and tends to go back and forth. Though, there is a fantastic account of a young woman, Marie-Jeanne Vallée, who reportedly stabbed the beast with a spear when attacked, and she actually escaped. As well as there's another account of two boys who fought the beast off, if you want to do a little light reading later when you're researching this info. The one thing that historians can all agree on is that there was indeed a beast of some kind killing people in the south-central region of Givaudan, France, between 1764 to 1767, other than just the normal wolf attacks. What I want to focus on for a moment, though, is the description of the beast itself. So let's circle back to the first eyewitness description given of the famed beast by none other than that first unnamed victim, the young woman out with her herd of cattle. She reported that the creature that had come at her was like a wolf, yet not a wolf. 
Now I found this fascinating and a little bit telling because this was the description given before any hysteria or exaggerated accounts could be influencing the eyewitnesses that saw it. And this was also by a person who, being in a country with a long history of wolf problems and working out in the wilds, knew what a wolf looked like. I have no doubt that this woman could spot a wolf for a wolf. And yet she said, this thing was like a wolf, but I'm telling you, this was no wolf. Okay, so then other reports come in. Some said that the beast had a ridge of hair running down its back, a wide mouth, smaller rounded ears. There's also some who said its head resembled that of a greyhound. Some said it had a short-haired tail with a tuft of fur at the end. Some said that the tail was very powerful, able to knock men down. There were eyewitnesses that even said that it was as big as a donkey or the size of a calf. The descriptions also given reported that the creature had reddish hair and stripes on its backside. Now, this is the description that really sent me reeling. So we have a wolf-like creature that is, unquote, not a wolf. It's reddish. It has a powerful, thick tail with short hair on its body and stripes. Being a fan of mysteries and the animal kingdom, this gave me a crazy hypothesis. These traits don't match up with a wolf, but they also don't match up with a hyena or a lion, as many would like to postulate. Okay, so maybe the, the, the short-haired tail with the tuft of fur would with the lion, but I'm gonna skip over that. But there was an animal considered extinct today that in 1764 was still very much alive on the earth. That creature being the thylacine, or as it's better known as the Tasmanian tiger, or if you will, the Tasmanian wolf. Crazy, perhaps, or perhaps not. The thylacine was the largest carnivorous marsupial, and it was the apex predator of Tasmania in its day. If you look at the thylacine, it was noted to look very similar to a wolf, hence why it was sometimes referred to as a Tasmanian wolf. It had a narrow head similar to a greyhound, and it had stripes. It had a jaw that could open a full 120 degrees to bite with its 46 razor-sharp teeth. It was considered to be an ambush predator pouncing on its prey. They found that the thylacine would have been able to actually rotate its arms so that it, the palm of its paw faced upwards like a cat. And if you do a little digging into the tale of Marie-Jeanne uh, Marie Vallette, she said that when she stabbed the beast, it turned its paw to its chest and pawed at its injury. So, you know, seems a little bit like a match. And farmers noted that it usually only killed one sheep at a time, unlike the wild dogs that would wreak absolute havoc in a single night. Now, there are a few causes for contention with this idea, like, why would an animal from Tasmania be in France in the 1760s? Well, first off, the nobles of France were really big on menageries. Menageries were the precursors to zoos, but only for the wealthy elite. And there was no way of keeping track with how and by whom they got their animals. So a Tasmanian tiger being captured and eventually sold to a nobleman for his collection isn't out of the question. Also, some may say that the beast was reported to be the size of a calf or a donkey. Now, the thylacine was reportedly to only be around 60 to 70 pounds and around six feet from nose to tail, or about the size of a large dog. However, if you do a little digging into some of the accounts of farmers in Tasmania who had encounters with the thylacine killing their flocks of sheep in the 1800s and 1900s, you can find reports of two different kinds of thylacines. One's referred to as the bigger bullhead Tasmanian tigers with bigger teeth, and the greyhound tiger. Wait a minute. Remember the description of the beast looking like a greyhound? Hmm. The first noted description of a thylacine came in 1792, 28 years after the first beast attack. And Tasmania wasn't set foot on officially until 1772. 
But the Dutch had set foot on Australia in 1606, and actually sighted Tasmania as early as 1642. So. That is 130 years of people knowing there is indeed an island of Tasmania. So the idea that someone went there and brought back a few of the wild animals isn't as crazy as it sounds. So then now let's set up a narrative. This Tasmanian tiger, or maybe even tigers, were picked up by unknown sailors on an expedition lost to the history books. Now animals were always treated with tons of respect and care in times past, right? Nope, unfortunately not. The tiger eventually found its way to a French menagerie. Now for the sake of this narrative, let's say that the thylacine was indeed treated very badly. So sometime in the early part of 1764, this animal got out and ran off into the countryside. A Tasmanian tiger would have no natural prey, and so its hunting behavior wouldn't fit normal standards for its species. Now also, scientists are still a little sketchy on what the thylacine normal standard actually was. So combine that with a hatred of humans due to abuse, we have a recipe for a beast of Givaudan that was angry, hungry, and wolf-like. But wait, Iaku, the beast was the size of a donkey. How can the Tasmanian tiger theory fit with the eyewitnesses saying that it was so large? Okay, so break from the narrative for a moment. So to explain this, okay, we're gonna go off on a limb here. Let's talk a little bit about fear-induced perceptual distortion. Okay, so that's what I'm just gonna call it. You can term it different ways. The idea is though, that once you're afraid of something, your mind upon encountering it makes the things you are afraid of more fierce, dangerous, or even larger than it actually is. Now, if you take a tour of the old World Wide Web, you can find research papers written on this idea. People with a fear of spiders, for instance, describing them three times larger than they actually were after encountering them. So were the people of Givadon already afraid of the beast? Yes. And were people being killed? Yes. Now, I do have to say, for some of these victims, and many historians would agree, that wolf attacks were still a factor. Wolves were still attacking killing people at this time. But if you're already afraid of wolf attacks, and there's reports of a terrifying beast roaming around your neighborhood, then seeing a 70-pound wolf-like Tasmanian tiger is going to freak you out. Especially if it comes at you. Add in mass hysteria into the mix, along with some mob mentality, and voila. Okay, so back to the narrative. This Tasmanian tiger roams around for a while, and catch a small game, mice, rats, etc. And it survives for a while like that. Now it's hungry and it encounters people. It hates people. It's afraid of people. The two instincts drive it to attack. Now the first time, large cows drove it away because hey, horns are scary. But later it manages to actually go ahead and get its prey in Giamboulette. And from there, we have history. The Beast of Givadome, the Tasmanian Tiger. Could it have been? No one may ever know. But it is fun to look at this case and flip it on its head. Because truthfully, sometimes the craziest theories are the more fun ones, and they make the imagination fly. And that's a glimpse through a different looking glass. I hope you've enjoyed. Till next time, I'm Iago McGinnis. Ponder on.